Hello there, this is Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris uh, with your weekly Tech Law 10. I'm joined by my colleague over in the UK, Jonathan Armstrong. Hopefully the audio here is good. I'm standing by some houseboats in Sausalito, California, while I'm on a walk in the sun, Jonathan. But while I'm doing that, I understand that you would like to be forgotten. <laughs> it sounds excellent there, and uh, we've had a bit of sun over here in the UK, although um, although I think we're in for some bad weather tonight. And and that's a little bit like the right to be forgotten as well, I think. Um, well, I, so, and before you Ben, before you get into that, I just want to say, Jonathan, you're unforgettable. <laughs> that's, that's really kind, Eric. Yeah, so what we've had over here, I know we've talked about the right to be forgotten before, and I guess my views on the right to be forgotten are, you know, plain and for the record, I think that the... European Commission's view as to what the right for, uh, to be forgotten is and how it will work in practice are naive, certainly in uh, today's world of technology and information. But uh, despite my views, uh, last Tuesday, the um, senior uh, European uh, court uh, looked at a case that had been referred to them from a Spanish court. And basically what happened here was that an individual complained that a newspaper held information on him dating back to 1998 about him having defaulted on a loan. He uh, didn't complain in this particular case about the newspaper's content or their original article, but he did complain about Google's linking to that article and he lodged a complaint with the Spanish Data Protection Agency. The case progressed through Spain and then to the European Court uh, with uh, what's known as a referral. So basically what happens in European cases is that the domestic courts, where they see a matter of European law, can refer it to this centralized court for a ruling. And the uh, centralized court upheld the complaint against two Google companies. And there's a whole host of interesting things about this case. And it would probably take us, you know, it would be tech law 90 at least if we were to go into all of the issues. But looking first at the narrower right to be forgotten, the court basically put in place a system where they said that search engines did count as data processors. So they did come within uh, EU data protection law. Um, whether or not they were owned or based in the US, and it seems whether or not their servers are actually in the US. So the first important bit, I think, is to say that uh, in appropriate cases, um, data protection law over here will have extraterritorial reach, and the courts in Europe will be able to adjudicate on matters from U.S. corporations. Of course, that's got a whole host of other implications, including those many tech organizations that, uh, let's just say, assisted the U.S. government and whom uh, Edward Snowden has uh, said reams and reams of uh, information. So all of that type of uh, stuff seems to be in scope now, potentially, for European data protection authorities. And um, the court also said that um, 
whilst they didn't really rule on whether the information could be held by the newspapers, they said that Google and other search engines would effectively have to have a process where they allowed individuals to say, I want to be forgotten, and they would have to adjudicate on those requests subject to um, supervision by the Data Protection Authority in the relevant country. Now, the Data Protection Authorities, what's called the Article 29 Working Party, are going to meet uh, soon and discuss how this process is going to work. The UK data regulator, the ICO, I think was first out of the blocks this morning and has said that they are going to give search engines a little bit of time to come up with a procedure. But I think it is truly the most significant technology case probably in the last 10 years here. Um, uh, and it also has much wider ramifications. When we've talked about the right to be forgotten before, we've talked about it potentially being a bad boy's charter. And what I mean by this is, let's say, for example, let's take a ridiculous example, Eric. Let's say my name is Bernie Tradeoff. And let's say I'm Bernie Tradeoff, and I want to collect money from people and move it to bank accounts so that they can't get it back. And I might say, for example, I've got a wizard scheme that's going to make you 20% annualized interest. I collect the money from, from the mouths of your children, Eric, and I uh, transfer it to my UK bank account, then to a Swiss bank account, then to a Luxembourg bank account, and then to British Virgin Islands. Um, as I transfer the money, I say to the bank on each occasion, please now delete my banking records because I exercise my right to be forgotten. Now, under the EU's legislative proposals, it seems that at the moment I can do that, um, subject to certain checks and balances uh, w w which could limit my right to be forgotten. The question remains as to whether those limits apply to, if you like, the, um, the judge-led right to be forgotten, which the European Court uh, introduced last week. So there's this parallel debate, really, about the statutory right to be forgotten. And my understanding is that politicians were losing their appetite for that. My daughter, um, by coincidence, interviewed Nick Clegg, the deputy prime minister in the UK, the week before the judgment, talked to him about the right to be forgotten. And my sense is, uh, certainly from reading her school magazine article, that um, that certainly Nick Clegg, a pro-European politician, wasn't pushing for the right. And it seems interesting that as the political appetite for the right to be forgotten seems to have waned, then the court have effectively introduced this, um, the, the, you know, almost the right to be forgotten uh, through, the, through the back door. So I, I think there's a whole host of questions that the case brings. You know, what are the financial costs for deleting data? Search engines do make money, the larger ones, but the smaller ones might not. Is the whole case a barrier to entry, which is something that the European Commission are trying to address? And of course, they've already said that Google have unfair advantage in their antitrust cases. So rightly or wrongly, is the European Court going to defeat one of the Commission's primary policy objectives? What are the technical and logistical challenges of deleting data when people ask for it? Who's going to police all of that? 
are the regulators set up to be a point of referral? And then more importantly, I think, um, those people that we've seen exercise the right to be forgotten initially in the first few days have been, um, bluntly, people with a past that they would want to forget. So, for example, we hear anecdotally that one of the first people who asked for the right to be forgotten was a convicted paedophile. Now, what is his purpose in exercising this new right? Is it because he is, you know, genuinely a reformed character, he sought help, and he's no threat to children? Or is it that he wants to apply for a job as a teacher and he doesn't want his past uh, criminal behavior to catch up with him, but has every intention of committing the same hideous crimes again? So a lot of, uh, unfortunately, this ruling creates an awful lot of questions and very few answers at this stage, but I do think it's a truly significant case and one that every single business will have to take into account if it has employees, if it has customers, if it has suppliers, because it isn't limited, I think, in its effect to search engines. It's of a much wider application. So sorry for that to be a whistle-stop tour into, you know, we've done a lot of thinking on this. We've advised a lot of clients on it already. But uh, it is a significant issue, Eric, and I'm sure one that's going to be a running theme uh, across much of what we discussed this year. Well, Jonathan, thank you. That was quite the tour de force, and I think you really <laughs> did touch on uh, practically all the critical elements at play here. And obviously, this Tech Law 10 can be a little bit more than 10, but very worthwhile and important. And I'll just add a couple other sort of global points. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that is to say, I mean, we've talked about the right to be forgotten before, and there, you know, it's an interesting philosophical issue. And on the one hand, we certainly understand that you know, people in certain circumstances should be able to redefine themselves as they move through life. Um, take, for example, you know, the, the college student who's at a fraternity and you know, various parties you know, misbehaves very badly in a youthful way and all of that's you know, portrayed on the Internet via you know, videos and photos. And this is when a, you know, a student might be 19 or 20 years old you know, fast forward, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, should that useful, you know, you know, uh, you know, indiscretion and misbehavior, you know, haunt that person, you know, through their adult life, potentially to the disadvantage of them trying to obtain employment or perhaps, you know, you know, future friendships and, and relationships. And one would think that, you know, somebody who's 40, 50, uh, 30, even 20 should not mm. be dogged by uh, their past when they were much younger, and in our generation, or at least in my generation, I'm older than you, you know, what you did, sorry for the background noise, but what you did when you were much younger essentially disappeared because it wasn't being recorded 24-7 as it is now. That's on the one hand. On, on the other hand, you do have the potential for bad actors, as you say, trying to wipe out what's really material information that people should be warned about. You know, you give the example of the pedophile, uh, or we have situations where there could be potentially spoliation of evidence. Here in the United mm -hmm. States, when people are on notice of litigation or potential litigation, all relevant evidence must be preserved, even if otherwise it was allowed to be destroyed under various retention and destruction policies. So we have to be careful that this right to be forgotten notion doesn't somehow bleed over into destroying evidence that might be necessary in legal cases. As you mm -hmm. said, this could be a tech law in 90, this could be a tech law in one week, this could be a tech law course in law school. <laughs> uh, but right now we're 
right now I'm guessing we're probably at Teflop 15 or 20, and we should probably wrap it up. But thank you, Jonathan, for you know giving us the whistle stop tour, as you say. Uh, it was very useful, very helpful. I, I'm guessing we're going to be coming back to this topic again and again as we move forward with our podcast. All that being said, this is Eric Sinrod standing by the sailboats in Sausalito. Pardon the uh, construction noise in the background. Uh, I'm EJ Sinrod at DwayneMorris.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And as Jonathan says, all that remains is for him to wrap it up. Thank you ever so much, Jonathan Hartleypool. <laughs> Take it on home. I will be very, uh, yeah, uh, very glad to. Uh, uh, Jonathan.Armstrong at CaudryCompliance.com. As Eric says, we'll post a link to some materials uh, on Twitter and on uh, TechLaw10. I'm at ArmstrongJP on Twitter. The TechLaw10 group you'll find uh, on LinkedIn in the group section. And as Eric says, we'll look forward to speaking to you next week. Meantime, don't have nightmares. And uh, I'm sure we'll all get through this uh, brave new world of um, everybody having uh, truly the right to be forgotten. Don't forget us. <laughs> Speak to you next week. Bye now. I've forgotten. What's your name again? Okay. Cheers. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>